fair would be us all getting what we deserve. And I don't think we want a fair God mm. if, in that <laughs> perspective. And so yeah. he's never less than fair, but he is often to us more than fair. So I think you have to begin with that perspective. A couple things I found that I really liked. One was a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Someone asked him, how could God say he hated Esau? And Spurgeon said, that is not my difficulty. My trouble is to understand how God could love Jacob. You're listening to If That Makes Sense, a Family Life original podcast about what life is like following Jesus. My name is Tim. I'm in Family Life's radio department. I'm Tately. I'm in the events department. And my name is Mike. I'm in the performing arts and events departments. Oh, Romans 9 is, I feel like it kind of start every <laughs> every episode that way. Oh, guys, this one. But it's just because the whole <laughs> the whole book is so full of stuff. Um, everything, oh, everything is going on. And Romans 9 is no exception. It's given a lot of people a lot of difficulty. And I think, though, that there's some encouragement for us today. I really do, even though it can be tough what the word has to say here. So we're not going to have any further ado. We're just going to jump right into God's word. We're going to read Romans chapter 9 and try our best as regular people to just break down what we're seeing here. So here I go, starting off Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return, and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, or far our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? 
Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness that is by faith? But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Wow. So, um... People being chosen, people being saved, people not being saved. It's all kind of in view here in Romans chapter 9. I think I think like the, the main emotion we're left with after this, at least myself, uh, is confusion about God's God's fairness. Is he mm. is he fair to be doing this? Is this fair? And I think there's a lot in this passage that speaks to the difficulty we have asking that question of fairness here. Something that's always made me kind of wonder what's happening is how he can love Jacob but hate Esau. Yeah, right. And that's mm-hmm. always kind of bothered me, and I haven't really understood it. And so I really looked at it this time. And I think, first of all, before we even start talking about fairness, we have to understand that we're looking at it from a human perspective and we're trying sometimes to put God into this this box of what we as humans expect to be fair. Mm. And what we're really doing is not understanding that fairness is him just leaving us to our own devices and everything falling apart. Oh, wow. And wow. we look at his mercy <laughs> and we think his mercy is our right. Hmm. No, mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Wow. So I think it's it's very important to look at it correctly. Uh, fair would be us all getting what we deserve, and I don't think we want a fair God mm. if, in that <laughs> perspective. And so yeah. he's never less than fair, but he is often to us more than fair. Wow. Mm. Ooh, I like that. He's never less than fair, but he's often more than fair. Yeah. And so I think you have to begin with that perspective. And so mm. then I kind of shifted my mindset, and I was looking at it, and do I perfectly understand now how he could say he loved Jacob and he had Esau. No. 
(laughs) I can't. But um, there are a couple things I found that I really liked. One was a quote from um, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, Someone asked him about this and how this, you know, how, how could God say he hated Esau? And Spurgeon said, that is not my difficulty. My trouble is to understand how God could love Jacob. Hmm. And I think hmm. that's the kind of correct perspective yeah. of letting God be God. And then I think also context is very important because we are not only trying to fit it into our human concept of fairness, but we're trying to fit it into our human emotions of love and hate hmm. and our understanding of that. And there's a lot more at play than it seems. So I was looking into, um, because, you know, we know that Jacob and Esau became two different nations. Mm -hmm. And so is he talking about them specifically or is he talking about a much bigger thing? And so Jacob is later renamed Israel. And his descendants were the Israelites, God's chosen people who he loved. And did they always follow him? No, but he loved them. Esau was also ca- called, um, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but Edom and his descendants were the Edomites. Okay. Who were enemies of Israel. Yeah, right, in the Old Testament. Yeah, and so we have to accept as well that that simple sentence has a lot more meaning behind it than just, I don't like that guy. I, I've heard it said, too, that um, that it's... It, loved hated a lot of times this way you see it used even in the in the bible and other places in the old testament has to do with with chosen yes and left alone mm-hmm. you know um one was specially gifted with favor and the other was just kind of left to their own devices and uh or ignored sometimes but we i love how you tately how you pointed that out like our human emotions we see this all when we see hate all we can think of is the experience we have of hate, mm-hmm. which is almost never a good thing. And we can't possibly imagine what it's like to to have that from God's perspective. Whereas presumably for him, it would it would never have any taint of sin. But even just that it doesn't even have to do with that angry, disgusted feeling that a lot of times hate, the way it's used in the Old Testament, can be just they weren't chosen. But anyways, that's just something that I don't know if you've if you've encountered that or heard people say that before either. Yeah, that's another thing I kind of found in in that not only there, but a lot of this, um, like when it's like, well, did the law did the law fail if Israel's not being saved? Like what's happening there? And it's like it has more to do with promise than mm. natural <laughs> relations. <laughs> mm, right. Yeah. I really, I really, really, really like that aspect of it's it's more about <laughs> If we're scandalized by something, we should be we should be scratching our heads over how God even picked anybody, how God <laughs> even chose to love anybody. Wow. It's like, yeah, is it fair? No, it's not fair. Be glad it's not fair. <laughs> Do you want what's fair? <laughs> uh no, thanks. Actually, I'll I'll pass on that. I I love what you said, Tately, about it being a mindset and and how you approach the scripture. And I was thinking of um, almost the the world today, we hear the word relative truth a lot. Yeah. And, and I don't claim to be an expert on what that is. But from my understanding, it's, it's what is true for me personally. And it has to do with what I how I understand the world it has to do with what I feel, and what I want. 
And I was just thinking, wow, sometimes I approach scripture that way. Hmm. And so I remember the the first few times I'd read Romans 9, I was upset and frustrated because I didn't understand it. I didn't understand how God could do these things. Since it didn't make sense to me, I thought, well, God, you did a poor job writing Romans 9. You could have done better and I could have helped you do better. (laughs) And then for what I feel, I feel like God's a big old meanie Mm. in in this. Why, Why did he say I hate one person and I love another person and I chose this person and not this person. And then um, what what I want is is not what I what I read in here. If if I'm coming to it from an understanding of what what I think I'm understanding, sometimes it just sounds like God is arbitrarily picking people. Yes. And like like as as it says in here, before before uh, Jacob or Esau were born they had done nothing either good or bad, but God picked Jacob, I'm going to love, Esau, I'm going to hate. I'm like, well, God, that doesn't make any sense. Like, if that's the case, if you're just picking people at random, then what's the point of missionaries? What's the point mm. of witnessing? What's the point of praying for my friend who's not saved? You're either going to pick him or not. Mm. And I, I think that looking at scripture from that way leaves out one really important thing, and that is, who God is. Mm. And I know God to be omniscient, which means he is smarter than I am. He is all-knowing. God is omnipotent, which means he's bigger than me. He created the universe. I didn't. So so that's helped me um, think, I, I think, come to a passage a little bit from a, from a better place thinking almost that I should come across things that I don't understand. If my God is really as big and as smart as I claim he is, then I shouldn't understand everything in here. I shouldn't be surprised that an infinite God has ways that seem mysterious or wrong or foolish to me. Mm. And and I found verse 20 in here, which I think is mm-hmm. the key to unlocking this whole passage. It says, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Mm. Who are you, Mike, to question what I've decided and what I've written? Because I made you. Are, do you have any, any, is there any reason you could ask me why I did what I did? And I just, I love that verse because it reminds me of where I am in relation to where God is. And, oh, Mike, I love that. I love that you brought it back to the clay thing because like, <laughs> It occurred to me also too, like uh, the the it's not just like would a would a servant say to his master, "Why did you make me do this?" Well, he's the master; he has the right to. Paul could have made that, or he could have like mm-hmm. master servant. The Bible talks about us like that with God. He could have mm-hmm. made that argument. He goes a step further and he says, "No, guys, you don't even understand. This is like God is as far above you <laughs> as a human master." Potter is above a lump of lifeless clay. Like anything, again, back to that that thing that anything we get is a good is a good deal. Anything that God gives does for us that that res- res- respects our intelligence is like Him stooping very very low. Yeah, <laughs> because we are actually like this is not self hatred or putting ourselves mm-hmm. down. 
this is just some real perspective here. Like we are clay. God is God. I love you're using like words like omniscient to remind us like God knows everything. Imagine that. God knows everything. There is nothing at all that God's like, yeah, I wonder about that. He knows everything. We can't even fathom what that would be like. So the clay thing, I think you have a very good point, Mike, that um, as far as being able to feel like a difficult chapter like this one can make sense to me. Verse 20, who are you, O man? To answer back to God, well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? That goes a long way to helping me feel like, okay, I can I can grasp this because I can't grasp it. <laughs> like I can know this doesn't make sense. I'm still upset reading this. Like you talked, Mike, about feeling upset reading this. Yeah, I'm the first few times you read it, I, I still feel upset sometimes when I read it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But that verse, he's kind of still saying to me every time I read it. Yeah, you should kind of expect that. God is in heaven. You're on earth. God is infinite. You are finite. God is all-knowing. You, Tim, know comparatively very, very little. And I don't think we'll ever fully understand it. Mm -hmm. But when we get to the place where we begin to realize how big God is, that should blow our mind. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't just be skimming through chapter 9 thinking, oh, there's all this stuff. This should be reminding me, Oh, right. I'm the clay. I'm the lump of clay that God is forming. I I am not God. Mm. And what that means is when I don't understand something in scripture, it's not because it's outdated or not relevant or not culturally acceptable. It's just because God is God and I'm not. Mm. Yes. I think it's very telling of the human condition that we mm. love the imagery of being clay when we use it to talk about how we're each unique and we're each wonderfully formed and we're all beautiful and lovely and we love that imagery. But as soon as being clay means being subjected to the will of the potter, we completely change our tune. Wow. I never thought of it. (laughs) It's like, how often is that imagery used to be like, we're wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, we're, yes, because what an amazing potter is making us. Like, (laughs) we like to look at it from our own benefit. Pharaoh. God raising up Pharaoh. Who wants to try? I, 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 you know, it's obviously not funny, but just the difficulty we have with trying to grasp these sorts of things, because it's uncomfortable sometimes. Who wants to even try into this God hardened Pharaoh's heart thing first. I want to run away from it. Like, <laughs> yeah, this doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, this is so crazy. Yeah, I, I, we're saying this a lot today, and I think that's a good thing. <laughs> I don't understand this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so starting with that, don't understand it. I like to be pretty comfortable though with with things that I can't understand because, as we've said already, we're clay. Like, where there's gonna be things we don't get. There's got to be room for God to be able to do two things at once that don't make sense to me hmm. because he's God. Uh, that's kind of part of his, it's in his purview. Like he has all, he's all powerful and I, he will be able to do things I can't understand. He can do two things at once that I don't see how they work <laughs> together. I had a vague feeling that there was a story in the Bible that helped to kind of like 
make sense of this, but I couldn't remember it. So I was doing some Googling and I found it. It's in Isaiah where God does two things at once that seem like they shouldn't be able to go together. God has to punish his people, Israel, and he has to use another nation to punish them. It's Assyria. Big bad guys, Assyria. They don't worship God. They're just bad. And God brings them in to punish Israel. So they're being, God is using them. But they themselves, Assyria, what are they doing? Well, they don't know. They're, they don't, they're not thinking they're taking orders from God. They're just beating up on, you know, the old punching bag Israel, the neighbor that they didn't like that they wanted to try to, you know, take down and take their stuff. So Assyria is working for their own purposes, but God at the same time is using Assyria for his purposes. How could those two things go together? Did God make <laughs> them do it or did they choose to do it? The Bible kind of presents it like both things are happening <laughs> where he's like saying, I'm using Assyria to do this. And Assyria, how dare you do that? It's like, wait, how can you say that? Well, that's God being all powerful and being able to hold together two things that don't make sense from my human perspective. A little bit from that was in Isaiah chapter 10, by the way, at least where I'm getting that. And if you want to look at that and see if that checks out for you, you can check that out in Isaiah chapter 10. But I think there's got to be room here like for God to be able to be doing something that we can't fully understand, even doing even doing things that look contradictory at the same time. But I mean, yeah, it, what is he doing with Pharaoh? Is he... <laughs> Is he changing Pharaoh's heart against Pharaoh's will? Um, wh what do you say to that? Tim, I think you're doing a great job of pulling all the references from the Bible that I like to <laughs> not go near. <laughs> I usually like to hear them and think, yep, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I'm done with that. I, I often go back to Jesus when I'm trying to wrap my mind around these things and this weird Jesus math, where he's 100% human and 100% God, and that equals 200%. And <laughs> in the world's way of thinking, you can't have 200% of a whole. That's two things. And But I've grown up hearing Jesus is fully man and fully human. So, so I'm at a place where I don't understand it, but I feel comfortable saying, yeah, fully God, fully human. Um, now I come to something like this and it's not something that I've grown up hearing over and over and over again. So it feels like this new thing. Like how can God do two things at once? How can both things be completely true? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know the answer to that, but, but I know that, that God back to God is all powerful. He can, he can do those things. I, I had a cool note in my study Bible that I wanted to read oh, yeah. that um, kind of kind of helps maybe understand a little bit. Hmm. Oh, MacArthur's study Bible. Uh, this is this is regarding Pharaoh and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Uh, it says the mighty act of God in freeing Israel from the hand of Pharaoh demonstrated two corollary truths. Both Moses and Pharaoh were wicked sinners, even murderers and were equally worthy of God's wrath and eternal punishment. But Moses received mercy while Pharaoh received God's judgment because that was God's sovereign will. 
And then um, I'm going to skip down a little further. Ten times Exodus refers to God's hardening Pharaoh's heart and other times to Pharaoh's hardening his own heart. This does not mean that God actively created unbelief or some other evil in Pharaoh's heart, but rather that he withdrew all the divine influences that ordinarily acted as a restraint to sin and allowed Pharaoh's heart, wicked heart, to pursue its sin unabated. Mm. And I thought that goes way back to what you were talking about, Tately. Um, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it wrong. Of, of is God fair? He's never less than fair, but often he's more than fair. And and so this idea of hardening Pharaoh's heart's not necessarily an active thing, but but a, a withdrawing of something. Mm-hmm. This is God being fair. Pharaoh's heart being hardened to his own wicked ways is what fairness looks like. God's mercy on Moses and blessing on Moses is him being more than fair. I'm just sitting here and learning. (laughs) Same, same. (laughs) Me too. The only thing I had written down is a much simpler summary of that. I just said, it's not so much God deliberately stepping in and forcing Pharaoh to harden his heart, but rather allowing his heart to follow its natural path. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, it's, it's all that same idea working here of, any good thing we get is God being more than fair because in, in the Bible and so many places, judgment is just God letting people have what they were asking for. Anyways, <laughs> judgment is just God letting people have the natural consequence <laughs> so often of what their sin would bring upon them. A thought I had was, um, that we imagine that this could mean that there's somebody who would otherwise love God. But he is, you know, almost like they're trying, they would try to love God, but he's actively, (laughs) forcefully suppressing their heart from loving him. Yeah. No, it's a total opposite. If you or I have anything like love for God, it's, it's his spirit that, that touched us and showed us. I mean, think about yourself for a minute. Think about, I'm thinking about myself for a second. Is there any part of me? Is there any part of me that naturally left to my own is going to be more like Jesus and more self-sacrificing, more God-honoring, more more Christ-like. If I'm left to my own, no, if I'm left to my own, I get like really bad, like anything good is God working in me. So that was an interesting thought that like we have made ourselves, I don't know if this is exactly new, like in this century or centuries, but we've made ourselves like the innocent ones and anything that's wrong, it's God's fault. <laughs> and I like how C.S. Lewis put it that like before God was the one in the judge's stand and we were down in the dock, which is where they call it like the place where the, the, the convicted are. But we flipped it around in our century, in our day and age. God's in the dock and we're standing as judge saying, let's see if you can, you can prove yourself guilt, innocent here. No, there is, there is nothing, uh, of our own. Yeah. That's good hmm. in us. That's already who we are. Anything good is God working in amazing grace. Um, I think there is all like also too, it's just important to recognize something that just hit me the last time we read this just here on this episode, as we kind of round near the end here, looking at the end 
of the chapter, this, this kind of stuck me where, um, he says in, in verse 32, talking about how Israel did not, Israel didn't pursue God, uh, the way he, he wants to be pursued, like by faith, Mm. instead of by like trying to work through the law. Mm -hmm. Um, verse 32, why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, they have stumbled, stumbled over the stumbling stone. At the end of this whole thing where Paul talks about God choosing and us choosing, God choosing, Paul has no problem pivoting and talking about it as if it's, you know, talking about personal choice, <laughs> like saying, why did it happen? Well, I can tell you why it happened. They, their hearts weren't following God. They, 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 they tried to get through him, get to him by, by means of their own strength instead of by having faith in the promise of Jesus. I, I think it goes back to your, your question of, how how God does two things at once. Yes. How can something be fully this is this is God's choice and fully, you know, the the age-old God's sovereignty versus free will. Mm-hmm. And how can both happen at the same time? How, it but that's what that's what it's showing here. It's it's saying that God chose and it's also saying that that Israel didn't didn't follow and and we you know, I had to accept the 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 gift of Jesus Christ it, it it it's not an automatic so there's just one more way of um how how two things can can be working at the same time and it doesn't make sense to us but God sometimes doesn't make sense to us yeah. because he's higher than us i i had this really cool picture that somebody mm. shared with me and it's it's the picture of God as a heat source. This goes back to hardening Pharaoh's heart, um, and and I think even just for us today and the idea of of our choice and and God's choice, and it so so God's a heat source. When when God turns on the heat, um, if there's an ice cube placed in front of that heat source, what happens? It melts. Mm. When, when God turned on the heat with Moses, when he was at the burning bush, when God was calling Moses, Moses' heart was such that it melted before God. At the same time, you can put a, a piece of clay in front of a heat, heat source, and what's it going to do? It's not going to melt. It's going to harden. And and so so that is a picture of God going to Pharaoh and turning on the heat. God doesn't immediately um, do do any of those things to Pharaoh. He says, "Let my people go first," and and that that is 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 where this this heat source turns on. And what's in Pharaoh's heart is something that's causing Pharaoh's heart to harden, not melt. Mm. And I that that's helped me walk through some of these verses. I'm like, what 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 does this mean? Um, but to, to simplify it, it's exactly what you were talking about, Tately. It, it, it's what's already there in the heart. Parting thoughts. As we obviously in a half hour podcast cannot hope to do justice to a chapter that has challenged Christians for centuries, for millennia. But uh what if if you had a parting thought for how how you 
how you're going to hold this chapter in your mind, how you're going to walk forward with it, what you're going to take away from it. What would, what would you give for that for yourself? I like what you said about com- comparing ourselves to Pharaoh, like there's nothing good in us. And while you were saying that, I was thinking, okay, if I was rich and had everything I needed and have all these people to do it for me and someone said, I'm going to come take that all away from you, I probably also would have been like, no. <laughs> and so yeah. it's just putting God in the per- correct perspective, putting yourself in the correct perspective. And I think what's happening for me personally through this reading of Romans like at the end of every episode, um, whereas I I still can look at this chapter and be confused or even a little bit frustrated from my own lack of understanding of what God is doing. What I'm really left with is just gratitude. And that's every chapter, that's what I'm left with of you know, the last chapter, wow, thank you, God, that nothing can separate us from our love. Mm. Wow. Thank you, God, that you stepped in and melted my heart. Yeah. Um, And it's just this realizing of how big God is and how small we are and how thankful that he would choose to take this useless dirty lump of clay and make it something i want to i want to just take tately's answer that was <laughs> yeah that's it yeah for me it's thinking rightly about god knowing who god is and knowing who i am and not accidentally flip-flopping those two and approaching scripture with a sense of humility mm. when when i don't understand something my my reaction ought to be humility and on my knees before God, thanking him because he is amazing and he is infinitely bigger than me. He would be a lousy God if he were only as smart as I am. <laughs> and and so just that reminder that God God is infinite and amazing. Mike, you wouldn't make a good God. I'm sorry. You wouldn't. I, I needed to hear that today. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> this chapter is like an experiment on what we were just talking about. This chapter could harden someone's heart. This chapter could melt someone's heart. Wow. Depending on the how they approach it. Yeah. Like C.S. Lewis says, every encounter you have with somebody either brings them closer to God or further from God. That's interesting. It's almost like every everything you read can can either melt or 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 harden, yeah. maybe. I don't Because you could leave away being like, wow, God is so unfair. Right. Or you well, that's how I started. Like, wow, God, thank you so much for not being fair. <laughs> like, yeah. it's all in how you read it. It's crazy. What I think Romans 9 leaves all of us with, almost ironically, is a choice. It really does. <laughs> like, if you're reading the book, if you're following with Paul up to this point, and even in this chapter, if you're really looking at it, he's not taking away our choice of what do we do when we're confronted with Jesus. If anything, the choice is as loud and clear as ever. Here's God. Here's you. What do you do with him? Here is a God who radically stepped in to show us love that we could never deserve. How do we respond to that? That's the gospel. That's Romans. And for today, that's Romans chapter 9. A lot left in this amazing book, and we hope you'll join us for the rest of it. 
Thank you for joining us for If That Makes Sense, the family life podcast about what life is really like as a young adult following Jesus. If you enjoy the show, please send it to a friend. Your genuine appreciation of the show is the best way for word to get out. And it would make our day if you left us a rating and a review wherever you found this episode. Family Life has more great original podcasts that you can check out at familylife.org slash podcast. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you along for the next one.